Oh, besties, if you could see me now, I am a hot mess. I'm actually in a really good mood. I just got back from two soul cycle classes. It's like my new Christmas Eve tradition. I've done it for three years now. I do a normal Survivor, which is an hour class and a 45 minute Christmas themed ride with Abby. And then I go about my Christmas Eve shenanigans. Um, I've been very unsuccessful this year. I have not bought anyone's presents yet. I have bought my mom one thing and it's definitely not good enough. Um, so actually, let me tell you about that. So there's a store in London called Liberty and I do not read the back of the receipts. And I'm actually pretty sure it's illegal to do this, but I went to return something. They were like, oh, it actually says on the back of the receipt that you can't return things. And I was like, what? Who the fuck is reading the back of the receipt? Like I never said that, but I thought it. And I was like, oh, I didn't know. And like, I'm such a loyal Liberty customer. Like I go there probably every other day. I have a loyalty card with them. Like I, I support the business, you know? And so today I was just kind of like, oh my God, like, please just allow me. Like I bought something and I don't want it anymore. Like, have you never been impulsive? Have you never been a 24 year old? Like that's me. And so she was like, mm, can't actually give you a refund. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to jump off the top of the building. And then she was like, um, but because I'm a kind person and I always, oh my God, when someone says that to me, I'm like, you're definitely not. But she was like, because I'm a kind person, I'm gonna allow you to exchange this. And so I just picked some random thing up and was like, okay, exchange it for this. And that's what I'm gonna give my mom. Nobody tell her, okay, thank you. Um, but yeah, so I did that after Soul Cycle. And then I'm back home now. I have a high noon seltzer, which is actually really nice. I've never had this seltzer before. It's pineapple and it's just basically vodka soda, but like, I'm loving it. Sipping my little high noon seltzer. And we are gonna do a pop culture roundup because who am I if not a Dumois wannabe, okay? No, I don't actually wanna be Dumois, but I do find pop culture very interesting. And I used to be one of those people who was like, oh my God, like I just don't care about pop culture. Blah, 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 blah. Babe, why? Like, it's so fun. So yeah, that's what this is. It's Christmas Eve. I'm hoping that this goes up tonight or maybe Christmas day, if this is Christmas day. Then Merry Christmas to those who celebrate. If it goes up on Christmas Eve, then Happy Hanukkah. So yeah, let's get into it. So we're gonna start with the rise of the Nepo baby and Vulture did just release their absolutely amazing article on the rise of the Nepo baby and who the Nepo babies are. And if you're unfamiliar, a Nepo baby is a nepotism baby. A baby who, well, most of these people are actually fully grown adults, but a baby or a person who is successful because their parents are successful or they were given a leg up because their parents are in the industry that they're in, etc., etc. I don't know, go look up the Latin meaning. Is it Latin? Who knows? Anyway, I say this all the time, but I will never forgive my dad for giving up on acting after being a child actor, because like the sleigh that my life could have been, I genuinely think about it all the time. And like, it's not like my dad was like a wannabe actor. He actually didn't want to be an actor and his parents just put him in acting school. But he was on like the BBC and everything. I'm like, oh my God, slay. Like I could have been so rich, but um, he did not pursue that. And so here we are. However, I would like to say big shout out to my dad because on my way out of Soul Cycle today, I went to Amethyst, which is like a liquor store in London. And actually I think they're everywhere. I don't know. But yeah, I went to Amethyst because there is a Don Julio shortage in the UK. And it really um, got me thinking whilst I was in LA, obviously being so close to Mexico, you know, there wasn't really a tequila shortage there, but I love my tequila and I'm not really a Don Julio person, but I say this and now I'm thinking maybe I am a Don Julio person. 
I just haven't been given my chance to prosper because it's unavailable everywhere. So I went into Amethyst and I was like, holy fuck, they've got it. And my dad works in the whiskey industry. So he knows that there is a real big shortage of Don Julio. And I went into Amethyst and I was like, oh my God, like you have it. I'm having this. So I picked it up, took it to the checkout and I was explaining to the guy like what my dad does and the fact that I know that there is a shortage. And he was like, oh my God, I know your dad. Here's a half price discount. Ah, I'm a Nepo baby. There, I said it. I was like, big up Keith. Like, let's fucking go, my guy. Um, so yeah, now I have my Don Julio for Christmas. I'm very excited about that. But enough about me. Let's get into the real Nepo babies. So my history of a Nepo baby is mm, limited. <laughs> limited to say the least. But I will say that finding out that Dakota Johnson and Gwyneth Paltrow were nepotism babies honestly was a lot for me. It was a lot for me. I couldn't really take it in. I was like, no, I thought they were grinding. I thought they were working from the bottom up. But no, they are in fact nepotism babies. And it was a sad day for Mary Nation, but it's fine. I've accepted it now, but I do still think that there is a difference between a nepotism baby who is like just in things because they're in things and they have the connections to be in them or a nepotism baby who is like actually talented. And I think that Dakota Johnson and Gwyneth Paltrow are two very exceptional performers and like very good at what they do. And so even though they did have a leg up, also like being white and skinny is another leg up, but that's nothing to do with the nepotism. I just had to mention that. But you know, the fact that they're nepotism babies doesn't actually take away from the fact that they are super talented. It just means that they got a push that a lot of other struggling actors didn't get and won't get. So there's this whole thing, basically like a debate online about whether or not nepotism babies should be excused, whether or not they're good or bad at what they do. And I think a really good example of this is Maya Hawke. And so I'm like not really familiar with her. I know she's Uma Thurman's daughter and like that's as far as my knowledge goes. Oh, and Ethan Hawke's daughter. But I did watch her in Do Revenge, the new Netflix film. And so I didn't think she gave like an exceptional performance I was just like okay if anything it was kind of like mediocre at best not that I could do any better let me clarify that guys when I am talking about these people's performances does not mean that I think I can act any better than they can okay I just like I'm a consumer and as a consumer I have opinions but I did see some discourse online let's say about her appearance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is obviously a Quentin Tarantino film. And Uma Thurman is like the face of a Tarantino film. Like she is the one, you know, she's she's the girl, she's the it girl of the Tarantino cinematic universe. And I was reading this thing about Maya Hawke saying like, you know, she, like, I, I, I can't remember the exact phrase, but it was, implying that her mother isn't the reason she got that role. And I was like, your mother is Uma Thurman, the face of the Tarantino cinematic universe. Like, at least, like, try and be sly about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you just acknowledge that you're a nepotism baby and say, yeah, cool, like, I'm paying tribute to my mother in Tarantino's film, like, that's so fine. Everyone would have been like, woo, let's fucking go, girl. But you didn't, like you sat there and made it seem like you fucking auditioned and like went through the same struggle that everybody else did. Like, that's not the case. Your mother is Uma Thurman. Like, what? But I just thought it was funny because this Vulture article just put all of these nepotism babies together 
And like Phoebe fucking Bridges was on there. And we'll get back to Phoebe Bridges because she is a highlight of 2022 pop culture. But she was on there like because her dad was a set designer. And listen, I'm going to defend that girl with everything in me. But also like just listen to one of her songs. Like you'll literally know that her dad is like not like supporting her or like giving her a leg up in the industry. And also like she lives in fucking LA. Like if you're born and raised in LA, I assume that like set designers and like production jobs and things like that are very common. Like that's probably the most popular job in LA. And so yeah, I was a bit stunned by her on there. But let's go through the Vulture article and pick it apart because you know, I'm a girl with opinions. I do have to point out the fact that they used the wrong picture of Denzel Washington originally in the post. And I was like, come on guys. Like most of the people in the article were white and you had one black guy and you literally used the wrong fucking picture. Like you put a picture of his brother, like come, you had one job. You had one fucking job. But anyway, into the article. So it says that Colin Hanks is booked and busy. I have never heard of this man in my life, okay? I did not know Tom Hanks had a child. And apparently he does. And that seems to be a common thing with a lot of these people. Like, I had no idea who they are. And like, maybe I just live under a rock, but you know, whatever. So a big thing on this article is that a lot of the people in it and a lot of these actors and celebrities went to Harvard Westlake, which is a school in LA. And I did my research, it's a private school. So these people are paying money. So obviously you already have to have money to get in even though their website did kind of push the fact that they have like financial aid for most of their students. I'm like, okay, well, I, I don't think many of them needed it. But for example, Jessica Capshaw is on this and I love Jessica Capshaw. I think she's a great actress. She played Arizona Robbins in Grey's Anatomy and I just love her. I think she's such a fun human being, but she is related to Steven Spielberg and her mum is Kate Capshaw, who's an actress. And so, you know, leg up there. I mean, if you have even like the tiniest relationship to Steven Spielberg, I feel like you're in, you know? And she also went to Harvard Westlake. But I would like to say she is a very good actress and she's absolutely fucking beautiful. Um, second point there isn't really essential. I just used to have a big crush on her. I actually think she might have been my gay awakening. So <laughs> yeah, but she is a really good actress. And so I think when it comes to nepotism babies, that's where we kind of draw the line. It's like, okay, acknowledge that you're a nepotism baby, but like, if you're good at what you do, you're good at what you do, you know? I will say that my favorite part of the article is the almost famous section. And the article describes this as, they haven't matched their famous relative success, but they've got buzz. They've starred in or created at least one major project. And the first example is Dan Levy. And listen, I didn't enjoy Shit's Creek. I mean, I know I'll probably get murdered for saying that, but I, yeah, I just didn't really love it. But I like Dan Levy in it, and I think he's really good, and I think he's really funny. But obviously, like, his dad is Eugene Levy, who's also in Shit's Creek. And I think he wrote it, directed it, I don't know, something. And that is, like, peak nepotism to me. If you write a show or a film or a production of any sort and cast your child in it, like, that is peak nepotism because this is like Ben Platt like really and truly there are how many white men who could have played Evan Hansen in Dear Evan Hansen like come on Ben Platt I know you from fucking Pitch Perfect and like maybe you got that on your own but also you are a nepotism baby and I think it was his dad who made the role for him I think 
And he was like in the film version, which just didn't make sense because he's so much older than a high schooler. So yeah, there are like nepotism babies. I'm like, ugh, and nepotism babies. I'm like, no, you go girl. You are working it. Lily Collins being another one. I actually did not know that like her Collins was from Phil Collins. Like Mr. Cadbury's advert. I, wait, is it the Cadbury's advert? The fucking gorilla playing the drums? I don't know. But I had no idea. Because Collins is a very common last name. And I was like, oh my god, Lily Collins, like, slay. Like, I had no clue. But she's a really good actress. And so I just let it slide. Another one is Maud Apatow. And now, this is the thing. I know she's in Euphoria. But I think her parents are so much better than she is, like, in terms of films. Maybe it's because of, like, the different genres that they do. Like, her mother is Leslie Mann, who I genuinely think is one of the fucking funniest actresses of our time. Like, I love her in everything she's in. And then, obviously, her dad is Judd Apatow. But, like, I've never seen her in anything, I don't think, apart from Euphoria. Or at least I haven't acknowledged that she's in anything apart from Euphoria. I'm just like, did she really do anything? Like, I don't know. Like... I don't really think her character brings that much to the table. She just kind of misses Rue all the time. I haven't actually finished season two, so maybe I should. And I, the, I think the last episode I watched was like her and shit. What's that stoner's name? I only know his real name, Angus Cloud, whoever he plays. They're like hitting it off. But other than that, I'm like, you're actually kind of annoying in Euphoria, not as a person. I don't know her as a person. But I do also think that like her parents, are very pushy with the fact that they have children and like they don't hide that and so she was exposed to the spotlight very early on so I mean it's not really a surprise that she's like a big actress or anything and we'll move on from the nepotism baby thing very shortly because (laughs) I understand most of the world has probably read that article but I do want to point out that like Miley Cyrus is on here and her dad is obviously Billy Ray Cyrus But, like, Miley Cyrus is more famous than Billy Ray Cyrus. Like, 100%. Like, Miley Cyrus could do Billy Ray Cyrus, but Billy Ray Cyrus couldn't do Hannah Montana. You know? Like, it's just... She was born with the gift. The gift that keeps on giving. I've never seen someone have as many eras as Miley Cyrus has, and I respect her for that. But everyone else on the list is more so, like, I genuinely thought they were, like, good at what they do, and that's why they had the job. I had no idea they were nepotism babies. I mean, obviously, there was, like, Zoe Kravitz on there, who I obviously know is a nepotism baby. But for the most part, I was actually quite shocked that these people were nepotism babies. But, yeah, we'll move on from that, because, like I said, most people have probably already read the article. So the next big pop culture moment for 2022, I would say, was the release of Elvis. And so Austin Butler took the title of White Boy of the Month, but I want to talk more so about his approach to the movie with method acting. And so he is this like ongoing joke now that he hasn't let go of Elvis's voice and he doesn't speak the way he used to. And I read recently that it took him three years to become Elvis. Like, he was in solitude for three years, didn't see his friends or family, just becoming Elvis. And at this point, I think we do have to start analysing method acting, okay? Because as an ex-drama kid, as an ex-theatre kid, I'm very aware of Stanislavski, okay? And I remember studying Stanislavski and thinking, why on earth do I need to physically become something when the job in question is to act? Literally to pretend. Why do you want me to become this thing? 
And when I hear of method acting, there are levels at which I understand it. Like Brie Larson in Room, you know, if she had a glorious tan in that film, things wouldn't have really made sense. But with Elvis, I was just kind of like, three years is excessive. Like, if you don't want to see anyone, just say that. And it sparks the question, at which point do we start acknowledging that if you have to do that much method acting, you might not actually be a great actor? Like I said, I am never in a position to judge anyone because I am an absolute pile of shit who can't do anything, no talent. But I do like to have opinions. And when I was reading all this about Austin Butler and I was like, three fucking years to become Elvis. Like, I could listen. I could listen to Jailhouse Rock once and I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, Elvis, let's fucking go. I don't know. I just think like three years is a really long time to become a role. And this is not taking any credit away from any actor's ability to act well. Because obviously he did an amazing job and so it worked. But it's just like three years of your life is gone. And like, sure, you probably get paid the fucking big bucks, but three years of your life? Like, no, absolutely not. And I remember this with Amy Adams and like, guys, do not come for me, listen to me here, hear me out. I remember when Amy Adams did Sharp Objects and she was like, I was like using method acting and like I would go home and I couldn't shake this character off. And I just kept thinking like, oh my God, you have children, like you have a family and you're going home as this like alcohol abuser and like so many other things in the character that she portrayed in Sharp Objects. I'm just like, that you need to draw a line. Like as an actor, you need to be able to say like, when you call cut, I am no longer this person because if that's not acting, then what is? Acting is literally playing dress up and pretending. And method acting has always confused me because it's one thing to be like, okay, I need to speak in the accent all day because accents are like a very difficult thing to wrap your head around. And like we say different parts of words like in different ways and we have different inflections and all these things. Like accents, fine, whatever. If you want to speak in an Australian accent for seven years for a role, do that by all means. But to become the person that you're playing and not be able to draw the line from your real life and that person, this is where we're gonna have a, a bit of a problem for me. Because isn't this the thing that's happened with like people who play Hitler and people who play like really bad guys in films and TV shows? That's not your mentality. Like you should not be stepping into that mentality. Like by all means, you know, if you're playing Hitler, read all the literature you need to, but don't fucking embody it. Like, we're not trying to have a repeat of history just because one guy became Hitler in a film and now he can't shake his absolute insane behavior. Like, no, I, mm -mm. there has to be a line drawn. And for you to be Elvis for three years, I'm thinking you've overstepped the line. I think you've really crossed it. You've actually ran past it at this point. You know, you can't even see the line. That's how far away it is. I don't know, I just think like, Acting is literally pretending and you should be able to stop doing that the minute that the cameras are off. And yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I do think I'd be able to do that. Because yeah, like I said, studying Stanislavski, I was like, please, like, can you actually just behave? Like, just give me the fucking scripts and I'll do it. Like, I don't need to go home and cry my eyes out about this. Like, I'm, no, I'm so fine. Okay, I would not be the fab that I am if I did not talk about this. 
we're gonna talk about Phoebe Bridges and Paul Mescal and their breakup rumors and everything surrounding it because holy shit have I got things to say. So you guys know that I would take several bullets for Phoebe Bridges, like I love her, I literally have a tattoo dedicated to one of her songs. So these Paul and Phoebe rumors have occupied a lot of my already limited brain capacity. So according to Dumois, who I already referenced once in this podcast already, you know, the most trustworthy source of celebrity gossip, and that is sarcasm for those who can't tell, Phoebe Bridges was engaged to Paul Mescal. Apparently it's been confirmed. I still haven't seen any like solid evidence that it was confirmed, but for the most part, people think it was confirmed. And so this engagement has now apparently been called off. And apparently the cause of this is Bo Burnham. And this is where things start to get a bit weird. So I never condone cheating. I will never, ever, ever condone it. There's not even a but that follows this, okay? like. Point blank period. I do not condone cheating. I think it's the worst thing you can do to someone. And so when I found out that apparently she cheated with Bo Burnham, I feel like that just makes it worse. And I didn't know it could get worse because you literally had Paul Mezcal, okay? Earth's sexiest human. Now, my attraction to Paul Mezcal is very recent discovery, okay? Because I only knew of his existence because he dated Phoebe Bridges. And now he seems to be everywhere that I am. And I keep bumping into him in, like, events and places and whatever. And I'm like, huh, every time I see you, you're already sexier and sexier in my mind. Um, that's a slight tangent. Sorry, ignore me. But I don't understand why you would leave Paul Mezcal for Bo Burnham. And like I said, these are all rumours, Okay. But now that I know everything I know about Paul Mescal, and I know that he is such a great actor, I'm on my knees, okay? I'm on my fucking knees. But following the engagement ending and the rumours surrounding that and Bo Burnham, whatever, there was a picture that Matty Healy posted of him kissing Phoebe Bridges and Bo Burnham's in the background. And then there was a Dumois post on her, like, Sunday spotted thing that she does where... Apparently, Bo Burnham and Phoebe Bridges were looking a bit flirty-flirty at a comedy show, I think. And so I'm I'm a bit confused because I do believe that Phoebe Bridges has manifestation powers that we have not spoken about enough. Because she literally publicly thirsted over Paul Mezcal and then dated him for two years. She also did a cover of Bo Burnham's song, That Funny Feeling. And... You know, if they are dating, if the rumours are rumours, then the girly has manifestation skills that I need to get. Because my crystals don't hold that much power. Maybe it's something in, like, the LA psychic situation going on there. Because let me tell you, when I was in LA, I saw way too many psychic shops and way too many crystal shops. But, I don't know. Maybe something's different in the water there. But she really has powers that I need to unlock. Because really and truly, I'm trying to get my back blown out by Paul Mescalti. Like, share your secret, babe. Share your fucking secret. But that picture is released of her kissing Matty Healy with Bo Burnham in the background, which kind of like confirmed the rumours. Not with any like solid evidence, because Bo Burnham's not even the one that she's kissing, but you know, they're clearly hanging out. Which is fine. They may be friends, and she might be happily engaged to Paul Mezcal and spending this Christmas in Ireland again. Who knows? But the further speculation is that her verse on Scissor's new song, Ghost in the Machine, is about Paul Mezcal. And that is kind of breaking my heart, guys. It is kind of ruining me. Because I'm going to need that to not be true. Yeah, point blank period. I'm going to need that to not be true. Because what do you mean he said all of her friends are on her payroll? 
babe, come on. Some lines cannot be crossed. Some things you cannot take back. And let me just say that if my boyfriend said that to me, it's time to take the high road, buddy. Like, there is no way you can just tell me that my friend's on my payroll. I would die. I would fall on the floor immediately and play dead until the Lord himself beamed me up. Because that is so rude. Like, that is so fucking rude. And I do think that this is a big thing in celebrity culture. Obviously, I'm a fucking no one. Like, I am not in that world. But a lot of people's closest friends are people that they are paying. And they're not paying them to be their friends. But, you, like, you spend so much time with your band and your touring team and your managers and all this. Like, it would make sense that you would become close with some of them. But, you know, really and truly, they are on your payroll. But you did not need to say that. Do you know what I mean? Like, you didn't need to say that. So, Paul Mescal, if you said that, we need to have a sit-down chat. Meet me at Soho House and we can have a chat. I say that because I saw him at Soho House once. And I know he likes a picante. In case anyone was wondering. I also like a picante. So, I think we're the perfect match. Uh, no, I have sworn off Irish men from a mistake I made at the beginning of this year. <laughs> no, it wasn't a mistake. It was just... The Irish accent haunts me, okay? Because... This has absolutely nothing to do with pop culture, but the Irish accent haunts me because my secondary school teacher was Northern Irish and she was the devil. She was evil to me. And so I was always like, ah, 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 I can never date someone with a Northern Irish accent. But I don't think Paul Mescal is from Northern Ireland. At least I don't know, because I actually can't tell the difference. But I did sleep with a guy from Ireland at the beginning of this year. And I was like, hmm, okay, you guys are like Australians. There's something different in the water over there. You guys know what you're doing. And so it changed, changed my mind. Anyway, no one needed to know that actually. Um, next up on the pop culture list is Glass Onion. I, I don't know how to say that word. So I'm just gonna pretend that I didn't say that and continue. A Knives Out Mystery. No, seriously, actually let's circle back to that. Is it onion or onion? Because I always say oven wrong. Oven, oven, I don't know, but I always say it wrong. Guys, you would never think that English was my best subject at school. Anyway, I need to talk about this because it was such an amazing film. So Knives Out is the first film of this sequel. And Knives Out was amazing. Like, so fucking good. And I was like, how do you beat that? And a thing with this year has been sequels that were just so unnecessary. And I'm like, oh my god, can we just not? Like, no one fucking asked. But this sequel is so good. And I love now that, like, both of them are on Netflix. So you can binge watch them if you haven't watched the first one which really and truly you should have watched by now um but a knives out mystery is perfect like it's a perfect sequel i don't know how they did it it's just so good and janelle monet and Catherine hahn like oh my god the cast just gave they fucking ate up that script they did so well but i do have to say that janelle monet like absolutely stole the show phenomenal i I, I, I'm at a loss for words, okay? I did not know sequels could be that good. But talking of sequels, the next film I'm about to speak about is another sequel. And, bitch, I cried like a fucking baby. I cried like a baby. I am on a lot of medication. I'm not meant to do that. I sobbed my eyes out, okay? Oh my God, actually, my best friend just texted me and she was like, what show should I start? I want to start something good. Oh my God, tell me lies on Disney Plus. Sorry, I'm just responding to her message. We'll get back to this in a sec. BRB. Okay, so I went to watch Black Panther Wakanda Forever the other day, and I'll be so honest with you, I didn't love the first Black Panther as, like, 
a Marvel stan. There are many films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that I don't love, okay? One of which is Doctor Strange, the first one. The Multiverse of Madness is a really good one. But the first one, I was like, uh, Borefest. Hulk, also Borefest. Black Panther wasn't a Borefest, but like definitely wasn't one of my faves. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Oh my God. Okay, give Letitia right all of the fucking Academy Awards. I need her to get the recognition for this film. And you might be thinking, Mary, it's a Marvel film. Obviously she's getting recognition. Yeah, but I need the Academy to give her that because her performance was exceptional. Like I felt everything so intensely because of her. And the film just had the perfect balance of humor respect, legacy, emotion, sadness, like it had everything, okay? And I was really intrigued to watch this film, obviously with the passing of Chadwick Boseman, I did not know how they were going to address it in the film. And I do not think they could have done a better job. It was perfect. It was the perfect film. And I never say that films are perfect. There is always something because films are so subjective to our own perception of emotion and life. There is always something in a film that means it's not perfect based on everyone's unique experience. But I think if you know the history of Marvel and you've watched all of the Marvel films and then you watch Black Panther Wakanda Forever, you would see it as a perfect film. They just, everything about it was glorious and I just want to say like that is black excellence at its finest you see how we do it yeah take notes guys take notes anyway um one of my favorite moments of that film when I wasn't sobbing my eyes out was <laughs> when my favorite line in any movie entered the chat a colonizer in chains now I have seen it all I fucking died laughing and um the cinema I went to was very like predominantly white and so it was only me and my mom cackling. And I was like, oh, we picked the wrong area to watch this film in. But it was very, very fun. Um, yeah. Now we cannot talk about pop culture of 2022 without addressing the Don't Worry Darling drama. And I have spoken about this a lot and you may be tired of it, but we really need to unpack this because I think there are so many layers to it. Like so many fucking layers to it. First thing is the level of misogyny that jumped out of that whole discourse, drama, whatever, because I think people are way too eager to attack a woman. Um, and that's not to say that like, you know, I was Olivia Wilde's biggest fan and supporter in this whole situation. Like definitely don't know the ins and outs of this relationship, but I just think that people took it too far. And it always seems to be the case when it's a woman that is being villainized. And, you know, it was very public knowledge that her and Jason Sudeikis had ended things. And so her relationship with Harry Styles is like, well, whatever, it's not really anyone's business, but it was made our business. And like, it does reach a point with celebrities and people of notable fame that like, if you are doing things in public, it's now everyone else's business. You know, whether or not it's something that you want isn't really the case. Like if you've been spotted like kissing someone or like holding hands with someone in public, you know, there are laws that do imply that that is now public information. Like we are entitled to that in a way. Not that we're entitled to the ins and outs of anyone's life, obviously not. 
But it was public information that they were together. Like, she was at every single show. Like, I wasn't even at every single show. Come on, girl. Like, I wasn't even at every single show, you know? But I think it does reach a point where it's like, well, why are we so quick to attack Olivia Wilde and not as quick to attack Harry Styles or Jason Stakers? Because the only thing that I can say is her fault in this situation is the fact that she filmed herself speaking about Florence Pugh in a kind of derogatory way. Again, we don't know the background of it, but we're in 2022. Like, you can't be sending videos like that. Like, that is just so incriminating. You just can't do that. And, like, maybe it was a mistake. Maybe it was whatever. But in my opinion, like, that's the only mistake she made. But, you know, no one has attacked Jason Sudeikis in the way that they've attacked Olivia Wilde. And this is what I want to talk about, because now we've had some time to, like, really let the situation kind of brew in the pot, so to speak. Um, and he really seems like a bad guy. Like, Jason Sudeikis seems like a bad guy. Because why are you lying in front of a car? Like, why are you doing that? And if it was a woman, and if the roles were reversed, and it was Olivia Wilde who did that, everyone would be like, she's fucking insane. But Jason Sudeikis does it, and everyone's like, he loves her so much. And it's like, whoa, this is a problem. And the Don't Worry Darling drama, and the chronicles that followed, and the Venice Film Festival, and everything that happened, it seems to be people always wanting to take the man's side in any argument without knowing any of the facts. And sure, men can be victims. Men can be the guys who are being hurt in a situation. But we, as a society and a culture, actually really failed to acknowledge the fact that Olivia Wilde seemed to be in a really toxic relationship. And for the years prior to that, she was stuck in a house with this man because of COVID. And I didn't see anyone calling Jason Sudeikis out for any of the things that he did or any behavior that he exhibited. I mean, he fucking text his nanny saying hashtag blessed. Like, babe, what? You fired her without severance pay. What do you mean hashtag blessed? Like things are just not really adding up. But, I just wanted to say all that before I dive into the actual film, because, you know, as things were being released to the public or like unfolding in real time, you're receiving new pieces of information at very different times. And so your brain is like trying to add everything up at very different speeds. And so now I think enough time has passed where we can like look back on August and September and like remember the entire picture rather than just the tiny pieces that came out at different times. But anyway, thoughts and prayers of everyone involved. I mean, apparently Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde have broken up now, so literally what was the drama all for at this point? Like, why were... <laughs> anyway, so the film came out. The film was very subpar, mediocre at best. Seems to be my favourite saying right now. But I, I, do, I do think that I would like to know what actually happened on set. Because I think a lot of the reason why people went to see it is because of everything that was happening online. And, you know, the salad dressing and, like, all these things were just kind of piling up and everyone was very intrigued to see how a film could come of this. But I do want to say this. I feel really bad for what that whole situation has done for female directors. 
And it may not be something that is out in the open yet, but it's definitely something that will play a part in the narrative that follows being a female director. And that is that Olivia Wilde took a chance on being a director. You know, she'd already had a very good career as an actress, but she took a chance on being a director. And she did Booksmart, and Booksmart was amazing. You know, I love that film. And I think she did an incredible job with that. And props to her. Because it is really hard to go from being an actress to someone who is now in charge of the film. You know, there's a very big difference between playing your part and leading it. And good for her making that jump because she's proved that she can do it. But with Don't Worry Darling, all this drama that surrounded it feeds into the narrative that women bring baggage and that women can't just do a job. And that's not true. That's never true, okay? But it made me reflect on all the other female directors that I love. And there always seems to be something that people want to pick apart that they don't do to men. And it's fucking infuriating. Because another thing is Greta Gerwig. I love Greta Gerwig. Absolutely love her films. I think she's a phenomenal actress and a phenomenal director. But she gets a lot of the shit that Noah Bombach, her fucking husband, will never experience. And, you know, let's not even get started on when race and class play into this. Because this is, like, the most privileged of female directors, you know? Like, white, skinny, you know, already made it. it that is, like the best position a female director can be in and still they're ripped to fucking shreds and it's crazy it is absolutely insane because as much as I didn't love Don't Worry Darling there is no way you can take any credit away from Olivia Wilde but now this whole drama is going to follow her career and everyone who decided to be like I mean everyone who was involved in the film who decided to be snide or like make it a bigger deal than it was or not deal with it in private and then make it public information has tainted her as a director and I really do hope that she can have her redemption arc I really do because like I'm not her biggest fan like I just think that the way that she spoke about Florence Pugh wasn't respectful like I said we don't have the full story but I know that I would be very hurt if I saw a video like that about me but I do love her work and you know everything she does is not going to be for me and there are people who loved Don't Worry Darling but now this is going to follow her like this is oh women have drama women can't just do a job blah 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 and that fucking sucks and I think that's something we need to leave in this year I think when it comes to online drama and pop culture because that's what it is it is pop culture and that's why I'm very much like well when things are put online it becomes everybody else's business because that's how pop culture works it's how we as a society function with celebrity interaction you know like that's a big part of this generation like the society that we currently live in the fact that information is so accessible at our fingertips means that it becomes such a big part of our lives and I think at this point we need to really stop being so eager to villainize women because the same thing is happening with Megan Thee Stallion now. You know, she has gone through how much trauma 
of being shot and like having to deal with people online telling her she's a liar and like sending her death threats and all this only for him to be found guilty and she doesn't even get the peace of mind that like she's getting justice because she's receiving so much backlash but if this was a male artist this would not have happened if it was a man who was shot it wouldn't be oh we don't believe him like what happened to believe victims it's so fucking bizarre to me and i know those are two very different circumstances and like i said there are layers to it like black women receive it a lot worse than white women do and i will not argue with anyone on this that is how it is and it shouldn't be that way but that is how it is but i just feel like the internet is very fast to jump on a woman and call her a liar and call her a drama queen and call her extra and exaggerated and all of these words that they would never fucking dream of using about a man and that shit has really riled me up this year it's really pissed me off i'm telling you that much but you know this podcast is not well this podcast episode at least is not about the difference between men and women and gender inequality and sexism because that deserves a fucking ted talk not just a, you know, hour-long podcast episode. Like, that is definitely something that needs to be unpacked. There's a whole systemic issue behind that. But I just had to mention that because the Don't Worry Darling drama was such a big thing this year. And it happened over such a big span of time that every time we received a new piece of information, the information was looked at as an isolated incident rather than the fact that it was part of a bigger picture. And now we kind of have the bigger picture and it's like... Let's actually look at how we treated this person. And I feel like it's very okay to acknowledge that you made a mistake. Like, I'll be the first to admit that I was reading some of these articles and I was like, holy shit, like, this is bad. But now I've seen everything and also have always been very aware of the fact that we never know the full picture. But, like, time has passed now and it's like, okay, it was more of a bandwagon to jump on to hate Olivia Wilde than to actually dissect the information and see that more than one party was in the wrong here. The next pop culture moment, I don't really have much to say about, but I do want to say this. <laughs> so recently I uh, was hanging out with Eli, who is the jar on TikTok, who I absolutely love. She is a babe, which you guys probably already know because she is exactly who she is online, in person. Like, she's amazing. But she was telling me that the whole Negroni Spagliato thing with Prosecco in it, as Emma Darcy said, um, was a viral meme that kind of <laughs> bugged her because it was incorrect. And so she informed me that it's actually a Negroni Spagliato. Sorry, my Italian accent is awful. Um, and that already has Prosecco in it. And the meme was interpreted incorrectly because what Emma Darcy was saying is that they have a Negroni Spagliato with, like, they were explaining that it has Prosecco in it rather than, like, adding extra Prosecco. So I just thought I'd mention that because I think that's very important to know because I didn't know that. Because one, I hate Negronis. Um, and two, I don't actually drink Prosecco that much anymore. I did when I was younger. Um, I don't drink Prosecco that much anymore because one time I was at a house party when I was 16 and, you know, those wine glasses that hold a whole bottle? Yeah, I had that with Prosecco in it. And the night ended in me taking my top off in front of everyone in this house party. So I don't drink Prosecco anymore. Um, but 
because I'm like unfamiliar with the world of Negronis, I was just like, oh my God, yeah, like a Negroni Spagliato with Prosecco in it. And I was informed by Eli that that is not at all what's going on. And so I thought I would share that information with you because that was very life-changing for me. I was like, damn, the internet really does need to be fact-checked. Crazy, who would have thought? But what we will talk about is the Kardashians because basically when I started this podcast, I think one of my very first episodes was about my relationship with the Kardashians and how, like the show, not the people. I don't know those people. I have in fact seen all of them in person, but I, I, I don't know them. Um, but yeah, my relationship with that show was very tumultuous because I was very young and naive and watching the Kardashians really fucked with my brain and I gave in to all their skinny tees and weight loss fads and it, like ruined me. And my big phrase with that is that I always say I watched the Kardashians once as a kid and my bowels have never been the same. <laughs> um, and so when their new show came out on Disney Plus, I was very skeptical about it because I was like, well, why would I do that to myself again? But now I'm older, you know, my prefrontal cortex is nearly fully developed. I say nearly because I'm actually not too sure. But I also worked in media, um, worked past tense because I am now jobless. So I worked in media and you pick the lesser of two evils, okay? Because if you want to talk about anything with anyone at lunch, you need to watch the Kardashians or the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills or any of the other Real Housewives programs. And there are too many series of The Real Housewives for me to even get started in that. Um, so I chose The Kardashians. I picked my poison and I watched it. And the whole thing with the Disney Plus show or the Hulu show, whatever, is that it's like this new refreshing take on them and it's more personal and whatever. But I will say, I have never seen so much PDA in my life, okay? Kravis, Courtney Kardashian and Travis Barker fine, you're in love, but your mother is right there. Why are you straddling him? Like, why are you straddling him? I, yeah, that was a lot for me. I was like, okay, um, I hope my parents don't walk into my room before they think I'm watching a porno. <laughs> but also I want to talk about Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian because Pete Davidson, he is really doing something, okay? He is really, really doing something. He has changed the face of like, what's the phrase? Like, hot ugly guys I don't know I don't know what the phrase is but like he's not conventionally attractive and that's not even me saying it in a rude way like I'm just saying by Hollywood's beauty standards like he is not conventionally attractive he's very tall which you know would work in the direction of being conventionally attractive but he's not conventionally attractive and he's also very open about his mental health which unfortunately in the eyes of the media doesn't paint you in a good picture. And I respect him so much for that. Like, I think what he is doing is amazing. And even him addressing Kanye and being like, bro, like go to therapy, like it helps. I think that does take a lot of balls. And, you know, we were talking about earlier about how like women are villainized and it's not the same for men. I think that when it comes to mental health, it's very much seen that like women can be open about these things and nobody else can. But even when women are open about these things, they're still villainized in a way because mental health is still a topic that we're working on as a society to be more comfortable talking about. And we really should have made that progress by now, but unfortunately we haven't. But I think what Pete Davidson does is, you know, he's a comedian by nature, that's his job. And he talks about these things to a wider audience who wouldn't normally talk about these things. 
and wouldn't have conversations with their pals at the pub about mental health and the varying disorders you can have and like treatment and things like that. And I think that in itself is amazing. And so when he started dating Kim Kardashian, it was kind of like a breath of fresh air on the show because she seemed a lot more giggly and open. And, you know, I don't think that you, in a relationship, this is like very tangential from the topic that I'm talking about, but I don't think in a relationship you should ever like go for someone who changes you. I think you should go for someone who enhances the things in yourself that maybe you haven't been comfortable enough to express. And I think he did that for her based on what I saw in the Kardashians. And I think they were a moment. Like they really were a moment. Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson dating was a moment in time. Like it was so good. It was the headline of every fucking website, article, everything. Like everyone was obsessed with this. Because obviously Pete Davidson does have this history of dating like very, very conventionally attractive women. And everyone's like, how the fuck does he do it, bro? Like, how does he do it? Oh my God, oh my God, like what the fuck, bro? And <laughs> I think what he is doing is something that not a lot of men are doing. He's funny, which is like always a win, but he's open and he's human. And a lot of men, at least the ones I've encountered, are not willing to bring those things to the table. And so I'm sure there are a lot of guys who are like, bro, like Pete Evans is fucking ugly, man. Like I could get Kim Kardashian, whatever. That was, I don't even know where that accent went. Oh my God, I'm so sorry you had to hear that. <laughs> but there are a lot of guys who think that way about Pete Davidson without acknowledging the fact that like he's actually a fucking great guy and like speaks about things that need to be spoken about and is just human. Like, humanness and emotion are two of the most attractive qualities anyone can bring to the table. And he has been so open about those two qualities that he is so attractive, you know? And he's fucking funny. Funny is always the way. Like, funny is always the way. I always say, like, I can't be friends with people that aren't funny because, like, what is going on here? You know? Like, what is going on? If you're not funny, what? I need a giggle. I need a ha-ha moment. But, yeah, Pete and Kim... I'm kind of sad that it's over because also like he did get a tattoo dedicated to her and I, I know he had one to Ariana as well. So like, yes, let's like learn from our mistakes maybe. But I think they were so cute. Like they were a pop culture couple that I was like, slay, like I'm on board. Also guys, I've been saying slay and it started as irony and I'm thinking it's not ironic anymore. I'm thinking it's really not ironic anymore. I'm thinking I'm using this as way too common of a word in my vocabulary. Um, so slay. A pop culture moment that is actually extremely funny to me is Julia Fox. I had no idea who Julia Fox was until the beginning of this year, okay? And it's purely because of the uncut jams. Um, I didn't know who she was. I, I still don't really know who she is, but like, she's an icon. She's a legend. She is the moment. <laughs> she is just so funny. Like, I don't really know what the fuck is going on with her. But I just find it so comical. And the Uncut Gems thing is like undeniably probably one of the biggest pop culture moments of this year because and I think like in years to come people will still be like I was his muse. Like that's just an iconic phrase now and the Uncut Gems. It's just the way she said it. But like the Call Her Daddy podcast, let's fucking talk about it okay because 
That is like the best segue I've ever made in my entire life, actually, because obviously she said uncut jams on Call Her Daddy, but actually you should never have to point out that a segue was good, so maybe that was a flop. But anyways, the Call Her Daddy podcast, I don't know how I feel about it, okay, because I just like, I think I like listened to it for the first time when my brain was like a sponge and I felt so shit about myself like so shit about myself I was like holy shit like I'm bad in bed like I never want to sleep with anyone ever again and like realistically I feel like if you have a platform that big you should just say to people especially like if your highest demographic is women I think you should just say like people are just happy to sleep with you like they're just happy to be there do you know how many guys I know who are like just happy to be there like they're just like oh my god look at me I'm getting laid like and that's it but there were so many things in the beginning of Call Her Daddy. I was like, oh my God, like this is not what we should be teaching people. And I know people say now that like the podcast has changed and is becoming more feminist. But I, I don't know, because like I've listened to recent episodes, like at least within the last year. And I'm like, eesh, this is not, this is not the hot feminist take that you think it is. Like this is not. Because then it kind of brings into question, well, what are you guys defining feminism as? Because I think personally that sex positivity is a subject of its own. Like sex positivity isn't something that is unique to women. It's something sure that women are discriminated for a lot and actually not even just women. Anyone who isn't a cisgendered man is probably discriminated more for their sex choices and how much or how little they are having sex. But feminism isn't that, you know? It maybe can come under a subdivision of it if you want to unpack it completely and then in turn relate it to other parts of society. But like the fundamental definition of feminism is advocating for women's rights on the basis of the fact that we are equal to other sexes. And so, I don't know, this idea that, like, it's a very feminist podcast is just, like, not, not, not for me. Like, I cannot subscribe to that mentality. But I'm also not going to sit here and say that I don't listen to it because, like, Emma Chamberlain was on it and I gobbled that fucking shit up, okay? Because I was like, I want to hear this because I think that Alex Cooper has built a very unique platform for herself and I obviously, good for her, like, amazing. And she obviously has these connections where she can get people like Emma Chamberlain and even John fucking Mayer like that kind of blew my mind because I thought I heard that Alex Cooper was a Swifty but like whatever um you know she can get all these big guests and they bring in so many different audiences because people want to hear their favorite artist or influencer or whatever in this really kind of unfiltered way with someone who's willing to ask the uncomfortable questions. And I think that's a very unique type of platform to have. So I'm not taking any credit away from her in that. Like, I can't do something like that. So, you know, I will be the first to say that that is amazing. But I do think this idea that, like, you know, ever since she got the Spotify deal, that she's, like, rebranded into this feminist podcast is, like, not true. Because, you know, I have not once seen an episode which is like referencing Audre Lorde you know like that these aren't feminist videos or episodes they're 
they're pop culture episodes. And the podcast actually started by making a lot of women feel bad about how they perform in bed. And not only is that not sex positive, but it's also not feminist. And like, even now, if the topic isn't really like how to give the best blowjob, it's still not a feminist podcast. And I just like needed to clarify that because I've spoken about it in the past. I've spoken about Call Her Daddy and like how I used to listen to it a lot. But like this year has really been the year that I think that that podcast has taken the fuck off. Like it's always been a big podcast, obviously with like Julia Fox, Emma Chamberlain, like all the other big guests, it's gained a lot more traction, a lot more clout. And I just like think people need to stop calling it a feminist podcast. And now there are many things that I haven't included in this episode, but I am going to cut it short because it is Christmas Eve and I do have to buy people presents. But we'll end on this. Elon Musk owning Twitter. Not what I had on this year's bingo card. I'll be real with you. And I do think it's like so fucked up. And he as like a person who represents what he represents shouldn't exist. Billionaires shouldn't exist. And... I think him taking Twitter is, like, such an abuse of power because how many people lost their fucking jobs? Like, that app was doing just fine. You know, like, I've been on Twitter for, what, 14 years? And have n that is probably the one app that I'm, like, has never disappointed me, ever. Like, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, like, all these apps have, like, disappointed me. But Twitter has always kept it real. You know, like, Twitter has always been the place that I go for the laughs, I go for the solidarity, I go for the updates. And you knew what you were getting with Twitter. You knew if a verified account was verified, it was legit. Now, anyone can be verified. First of all, I'm not giving Elon Musk $8 a month. I'm not doing that, because, no. But second of all, anyone can buy a verification now. And that kind of diminishes the validity that verified accounts have because I think the reason behind it was that I mean the reason behind the changes that were made beyond the verification was that people were pretending to be other people online you know if you saw an account and it was like Donald Trump right or like impersonating Donald Trump and you thought to yourself oh this tweet seems legit you could just click on the profile and immediately find out that it wasn't but now, if everyone can buy a verification, it's kind of blurring the lines between who is who. And that is completely backhanded to what he was originally trying to do. And I don't know why that man is tweeting so much. And he's always on my fucking feed, like, all the time, tweeting pictures of his fucking Coke. Well, I don't even know what Coke that is. Like, Coke Zero, Coke Gold. I don't know. Like, the Coke with no caffeine in it. Why do you have four of those next to your bed and a gun? Bestie, you are not meant to be owning Twitter. Like, let me tell you that much. But that's probably like the most recent of pop culture events. And so we'll end on that one. Um, thank you, as always, for listening. I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for an absolutely incredible year. I know this isn't the end of the year, but the end of the year is in six days. So basically the end of the year. Um, Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays, and if you don't celebrate anything, I'm sure you'll celebrate a Sunday because it's a day of rest. Um, but yeah, I hope that next year is everything and more for you guys, and I'm excited to continue this journey with you and not to get emotional or anything, but thank you for giving me the life that I have been able to live this year because truly I would not be able to do it without any of you supporting me 
and listening to me shit talk my way through life and it never ever ever goes unappreciated every single day. I thank my fucking lucky stars that I have the best besties always with me and always supporting me. I think I'm gonna start crying now so I'm gonna leave this here but I love you always. Thank you for everything besties and happy holidays and happy Sunday.